I just want to welcome all those who are here for the first time to Holy Trinity. My name is Frank Leong, and I am not the rector. <laughs> Look up there. I am not the rector, but I am the warden. <laughs> and as the warden, I've instructed the ushers to lock all the doors <laughs> so that you can just relax and listen to me fully because I love a captive audience. Anyway, uh, John and Vicky are out, as Cindy has explained. Today, I'm going to give a message from 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 3, 5, which was read earlier today. The title of my message is Discerning Truth in a Postmortem World. Postmodern World. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, was, I was trying to avoid that while I was practicing, but it always comes out. Sorry. So it's uh, to discern truth in a postmodern world. Now, some of you might have recall back in 1994, there was a guy by the name of Harold Camping. And Harold Camping was a Christian broadcaster with uh, Family Radio. That's a, a radio station in the Bay Area, which had actually 150 affiliates uh, across the country. So actually it was pretty pervasive in terms of its reach. But he had famously predicted the end times, the coming of Christ, the Great Tribulation. Not once, but multiple times. The first was in 1994. And then he revised the date in 1994 to be a little bit later in 1994. And when that failed, then what happened was he came up with a new date. I think he went back to the drawing board and came back with a date of 2005. And you would think that by this time the, he would have kind of given up on this. Um, but no, he did one more time. That was in 2011. And after 2011 did not come to pass, he pretty much retired from that. Then there was also New Age believers that uh, had interpretations of the ancient Mayan calendar. And they predicted that the end of days would come in 2012. Obviously, that did not happen. If you look back in time, there was the great London fire of 1666. And the reason why they thought that was the end of days was because of the 666. But they had actually a little bit more to that than that. Because the previous year, there had been a plague um, affecting or actually um, um, resulting in 100,000 Londoners perishing. And that represented about one-fifth the population. So they thought, okay, this next year with the London fire, 1666, the 666 number, for sure, that's the end of days. That did not come to pass. If you look throughout history, there's also been many candidates for, um, for the Antichrist. You can point to Hitler because of World War II. You can point to Napoleon in his days. You can point to uh, the Emperor Nero in Roman times, and uh, that's in, in Apostle Paul's time in the early church, as all being candidates for the Antichrist. Well, when we look at this sort of thinking, it's, it's sort of such end-time prognostications um, aptly describes what was happening 
um, in the Thessalonian church in Paul's time. They were dealing with a bunch of different things. And, and um, in the second letter to the Thessalonian church, Paul addresses three main concerns. One is persevering under intense persecution. Now, I originally thought that this was coming from Nero, but I think it was a little bit off in terms of a few years. And it's more likely that it's coming uh, because Thessalonian church was largely Gentile. It's more than likely that it was coming from Gentile worshipers of Roman and Greek gods or even deified emperors who felt threatened by Christianity. The second was turning away from false teachings and false beliefs. This is because some of the, um, some of the believers, believers had believed that the day of the Lord had already come. That because of this intense persecution that they were facing, that basically they were being left behind to face the tribulation. In, um, in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians 1 through 2, I'm just going to read that real quick too. Um, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So the issue here was that there was falsified letters um, either ascribed to Paul or to his followers saying that, hey, it's already happened, you know, and we're in, in the midst of tribulation. The third area of concern, he gives a warning about idleness, and this is actually in chapter 3, so I'm not really going to cover this, but suffice to say that when the end is near and you think that, you know, uh, why bother? Why bother being productive? And that's what Paul was addressing. So as Paul sought to end uh, the, these speculations and to set the record straight with two exhortations. The first one is to stand firm. The second one is to pray. I'm going to spend the rest of this time really unpacking those notions, and to, to see how they apply to us today. First, let's look at standing firm. So in uh, chapter 2, verse 15, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So it also inclu includes um, in Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, what must happen. There's a sequence of events that are going to lead up to the end of days. And Paul reminds them that, um, I'll just read this, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So he's referring to the Antichrist here. He's referring to also the great um, apostasy here, the great falling away, which many would, even believers, would be uh, taken up by those lies. So what does standing firm look like for us today? And with that, I'm, I think back, to, I think, to really what we do here uh, at Holy Trinity. When we go through and we read the Nicene Creed, which we'll do later, we haven't done that yet, um, the Lord's Prayer, and we take 
the communion, the Eucharist together. That is a very powerful way for us to be standing firm. It means that we will not be shaken by evil. It means that we will, it's a proclamation um, that God is good, God has overcome these things. You know, I once thought that this whole thing about liturgy was way too rigid. You know, especially coming from a background that I have, which is evangelical and non-denominational. I, I appreciated the freedom that we had. Um, but it wasn't until I attended a conference, it was a men's retreat, and Bruce Hindmarsh, who is an Anglican professor at Regent College, spoke. And he used jazz as a metaphor for the Book of Common Prayer and for praying through Scripture. And that's something I could really relate to because I'm a musician, I played in jazz band, I know about improvisation and so forth. In jazz, what happens is, if, to kind of the uninitiated, if you're, if you're not trained musically, whatever, it's, it seems like you're playing kind of like random notes. And that's not the case because in jazz, it's, it's really falling, it really follows chord progressions, and there's a structure, a very solid, firm structure around it. So that when you play a note or two that's outside of that structure, it becomes painfully obvious. It becomes dissonant. So, so too, in the way of the BCP and the liturgy, I think it acts as like guardrails. It keeps us on track but at the same time allowing us great freedom within those guardrails to worship God in spirit and in truth. And I know that personally I've benefited greatly from just praying through the Lord's Prayer, taking one section at a time, and rather than just reading it through, take time to really meditate on what it means and what is, what is God speaking to me about. So what is, um, let's see, yeah. So the threats to standing firm today don't come from angry mobs wielding sticks and stones, don't come from imprisonment as in Paul's time. I mean, there are places in the world that do that, but generally speaking, we're not having to face that. But it's coming from a more subtle and insidious form. And it's the challenge of nav navigating truth in a postmodern world. This is a world which favors experience over reason. It's a world where subjectivity is over objectivity. Spirituality is over religion. Images are over words. And things are not absolute, but they're just relative. It means there's no right or wrong. Right and wrong are obscured. There are no absolutes, there's no black and white. There's only shades of gray. Technology adds to this problem. Technology uh, acts as a sort of megaphone for postmodern thinking. Authoritative sources and investigative journalism increasingly have been replaced with crowdsourcing and search results of dubious repute. FOMO, or the uh, fear of missing out, and just the sheer volume of data leads to short attention spans and less time to think and analyze information as it comes in. Add to that also 
deep fake media. By that I mean that it's now gotten to the point where images and sound files can be doctored up to the point where you can't tell the fake from the real. Imagine how Paul would have reacted if he were alive today. The propagation of th these falsified letters would happen instantaneously and exponentially. This leads to Paul's second exhortation, which is a call to prayer. And I'll just read this from um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So the first thing is about praying for the rapid spread of the gospel. And I think that Paul was very strategic in asking for them to pray this way. So rather than get sidetracked with having to deal with the different heresies and things like that, it was really, I think Paul is saying, let's get back to the prime objective. Let's get back to focusing on doing God's work. And when we do that, we will triumph. The other part is praying against evil and evildoers. This is evil that's not only uh, having to do with evil men, evil people, that could be obstructing the gospel, could be obstructing the, word of God, uh, the work of God, but it could also come from an existential evil. And that evil is really the embodiment of the evil one, Satan. He's the one that has been, as, he's a defeated creature, However, what he uses are lies, and he's also referred to as being the father of lies in scriptures. He doesn't want God's plan to succeed. So I like to use the analogy of circumnavigating the ocean. I don't sail, by the way, but I've heard this analogy before. It fits. If you were to, to sail across the ocean, and you were off by just one degree, it may not seem like a lot, because that's one out of 360, right, if you do the math. But over time, that could lead to being hundreds of miles off course. And that's exactly what Satan will do. He will try to get us off course by a little bit. So when, when faith is weak, when we allow the evil one to kind of knock us off course by a little bit, it becomes easy to be seduced by postmodernism, where truth is subjective and relative, where my truth is different from your truth. If you believe in absolute truth, God's truth, then you're labeled as being intolerant. Have you heard that label before? <laughs> um, so, it's, it's, it's strange. It's a strange world we, we live in. So how do we discern what is true? And this is, this is applicable not just to end-time prognostications, but just in our daily lives. How do we discern? How do we discern and be wise about things? Well, we have no further to look than John 16, 13 which describes really the work of the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Word of God, when combined with the Spirit of God, is a very powerful one-two punch against the enemy. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Now, sometimes we buy into lies spoken over us by our parents, our relatives, our friends, or even the media. Have you ever heard someone say, you'll never amount to anything? You're too weak. You're too feeble. You're too fill-in-the-blank. Or what you did is unforgivable. I think that, for, for a number of people, is a, a major way of being blocked from really accepting the Lord, is just feeling that they're, they've done, they're unforgivable, they're too sinful. But that is not the case. The other thing is that in the media, what we hear and see in the media greatly influences us. Think of eating disorders. Think of anorexia nervosa. That's a result of thinking that my body is, is off, I'm too fat, I'm not beautiful, and if I just continue to lose weight, more and more weight, I become more acceptable, more beautiful, more lovable. And that's, those are all lies, of course, that we bought into. So I want to share with you a lie that nearly cost my life. And this happened over a decade ago. I won't say how many years, but it was over a decade. And it had to do with um, a pain that I was experiencing. So I was experiencing um, um, heart pains, chest pains, I'm sorry, chest pains. It didn't start off as that. It, it, to me, it felt like it was a backache. So I thought, well, I just slept the wrong way in bed. And that was really not the case because over time it just persisted. And then Kathy, my wife, was... Um, suggesting that I go see a doctor. I put that off for a very long time, way longer than I should have. But eventually I did. And that doctor said, well, I took an EKG and said, that looks normal, but I think you need to have more tests taken um, to see a cardiologist. So that's what I did. I had scheduled to see a cardiologist. Um, but on the Wednesday before, Kathy was supposed to be going on a business trip. But she prayed about it, and she was feeling not very good about it. She really felt uh, that, that she shouldn't go. But I kept insisting. I said, you know, I know how to prevent this from happening. I just have to not exercise or exert myself. I'll be fine. Just go ahead, you know. Well, it wasn't until uh, a good friend of ours, Don, from church, approached Kathy and said, you shall not go. It was very emphatic. It wasn't you should not go. It was you will not go. And it was really a confirmation from the Lord that she should stay. And thank the Lord that she did because two days later, early in the morning, I woke up with um, chest pains. And she looked at my face and my face was turning gray. And so she rushed me to the hospital um, to make a long story short, 
they didn't believe at that time that I had heart issues because my cholesterol was good and my, you know, it wasn't too old. Uh, I was physically pretty fit. And I took, took pretty good care of myself. But they said, no, let's, let's wait until the cardiologist comes in, which he did. And he thought, well, you know, I'm pretty sure that you have a blocked artery. And so I agreed to go ahead and, and uh, get an angiogram taken. Um, and in the process, they discovered that I had a 99% blocked main artery, left descending artery, that I was literally a heart attack waiting to happen. But thank God, everything was caught in time. The operation was successful. I'm here today being able to deliver this message. And um, my big takeaways here was that I was really foolish. You know, I believed in a lie. The lie that, that I'm in control, that I have, I can use my logic and wisdom to be able to navigate through this whole situation. And um, boy, was I wrong. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. And literally that almost happened to me. There is a way that seems right to us, but it is not the right way. And ultimately, I think we need to go to the source of truth. That is God himself. That is the Holy Spirit. Well, one other verse I want to share with you, too, is from Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you ever encountered a verse that you've read over and over? And then... You, you know it by heart. But all of a sudden, this particular time that you've read it, somehow the words jump right out at you. The Holy Spirit is the one that's illuminating those words. That's what's meant by living and active. God's word isn't static. God's word can be a rhema word to us, can be the spoken word that comes from the Holy Spirit. And I think that my experience, having almost faced death because of being foolish, made me realize more and more that we really depend on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Well, after the May 2011 prediction turned out to be false, Harold Camping recanted and admitted that no one but God knows the end times. Except the the coming of Christ will be like a thief in the night. And that's from 1 Thessalonians 5.2. And also from Matthew 24.36. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So two questions to ponder. ponder two application questions, if you, if you will. The first, are you standing firm on the solid rock of Christ? Or have you placed your trust on sinking sand? The second is, have you unknowingly or knowingly 
bought into a lie that keeps you from being all that God intends for you, that keeps you from receiving his love and mercy fully. Be aware that when we choose to stand firm on the side of God's truth, that there is the potential for backlash. And I'm sure many of you who've been believers for a while understand that. But it's really by God's design. It's just like muscles. If you want to build up your muscles, you have to actually break them down. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, let, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Standing firm includes our identity in Christ. Rejecting lies that may have been spoken over us or that we might have inadvertently believed in. Prayer guided by the Holy Spirit is the key to victory over untruth. May the Spirit of the living God lead us in all truth. Amen. And as Nick comes up to play, let's spend a moment to reflect on what God might be speaking to you at this moment. Perhaps there's fear and anxiety that you're dealing with, fear and anxiety about the future, perhaps health issues, perhaps job and career or relationships. Be assured that you can bring those prayers and stand firm on the solid rock. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.